I'm Aaron Henkin. Welcome to Life in the Balance, a monthly radio program here on WYPR that's kind of a unique hybrid of public policy talk and first-person storytelling. How does that work? Well, we build each episode of Life in the Balance around one person's real-life story, a life that hangs in the balance, you could say, in one way or another. And then we invite folks from the policy and academic and nonprofit worlds to listen along with us to that person's story, and we challenge them to share their insights about the larger social and political and economic issues at play. All that is to say, this is a program about people, people whose lives are at the heart of so many of the policy discussions that we hear on these public radio airwaves. The policy talk and the analysis are important precisely because they are about real people, the people who represent what's at stake behind the numbers and the statistics. This is the fourth episode of Life in the Balance. We've heard some amazing stories on the show so far. The story of a young man trying to get a job and get adjusted to life after a decade behind bars. An elderly transgender woman who made the extraordinary decision to come out late in life. Uh, And a story of a teenager who's uh, trying to leave his past gang life behind. A decision that nearly got him killed by his former friends. I should say you can hear any or all of these episodes uh, on the Life in the Balance podcast at wypr.org slash life in the balance. A couple of numbers to ponder here as we get ready to dive into today's show. On any given night, at least 3,000 people in the city of Baltimore are going to find themselves without a place to sleep. Throughout Maryland, over the course of a year, more than 50,000 people are going to experience homelessness. The homeless population is hidden in plain sight, and 20 to 25 percent of them suffer from some form of severe mental illness. And under the circumstances, very few of them are able to find proper treatment. And here now is a story to give some meaning to those numbers, and maybe along the way to challenge some of the stereotypes we have about who homeless people are. I want you to meet Jeff Garrett. Fourteen years ago, he was living a comfortable, well-organized life. He was a family man in a two-income household when his wife blindsided him with some unimaginable news. I was married with two kids. I was primarily a stay-at-home dad. I was uh, selling uh, fine wines for a major distributor in Connecticut. Um, And then occasionally I would work nights in restaurants, uh, bar tending or serving. But my primary focus was to be dad. Uh, My ex-wife was in the financial industry. They'd done the audit on the books and they'd found out. She owed over $75,000 and she had two weeks to pay this money back or they were going to prosecute. Tell me what went through you when you heard that story from your wife. It was a lot like watching those planes um, fly into the World Trade Tower, just that explosion. You know, this was just after 9-11, pretty much. And um, and it, the feeling was a lot the same, like, you know, it's the end of the world. Um, that uh, everything that I believed in uh, was being destroyed. We're going to hear how Jeff's story unfurls from here as our program continues. But right now, I want to let you know that listening along with us is Kevin Lindemood. Kevin is the CEO of Healthcare for the Homeless. And uh, Kevin, thank you for joining us. Hello, Aaron. Glad to be here. 
And uh, I should say we were connected to Jeff and his story through Healthcare for the Homeless. Jeff is currently receiving health services and counseling through the organization. And um, Kevin, first off, let me have you say a few words about Healthcare for the Homeless, what it is and the services you provide. I guess the name is rather self-explanatory. So- There's somewhat, probably more to it. Somewhat self-explanatory, but over the last 32 years, we, we were uh, founded in 1985 in response to the reemergence of, of contemporary homelessness. Uh, we have continually worked to broaden and expand the definition of health. So today we serve about 12,000 different people a year throughout Baltimore City and Baltimore County, providing medical care, mental health services, social services, addiction treatment, dental outreach, and uh, and an increasing amount of supportive housing services to help vulnerable people stay in housing and and off the streets. We've learned that uh, homelessness is not permanent, um, that homelessness is fundamentally a housing problem, and we can talk a little bit more about that, um, and and that it results from um, a, a troubling array of public policies uh, that, that leave people without access to housing and health care and the incomes that they need to, to reintegrate into society. Let's turn back to Jeff's story here, uh, a story that, as we heard, begins with his wife telling him that she's embezzled $75,000 and the money needs to get paid back within two weeks. I think there are a lot of assumptions, right, about the sorts of people who are homeless uh, and why they're homeless. Jeff's story might not seem to fit that mold. In the work that you guys do, uh, I reckon you encounter a lot of surprising stories about how people end up homeless Talk about some of those stories. Talk about what might surprise listeners about who constitutes the homeless population. Yeah, isn't that image that he used striking of of uh, watching the plane uh, go into the towers? I think that's something that we can all uh, relate to, those of us that were watching television that day. And it's it's a reminder, I think, of the inherent trauma that that often precedes homelessness and that certainly uh, results from the experience of it. Uh, but uh, what, what one of the things that I've learned over over the past couple of decades is that as soon as I tend to generalize, um, I, I I miss the uh, very real human experiences that that all of our clients have, and so stories like Jeff's are are not at all uncommon. Um, we're we're seeing today an increasing uh, number of um, families, children, adolescents that you wouldn't expect would be uh, living in shelters or under un, under the bridge or under the Jones Falls Expressway or out on their own um, as people are making impossible choices uh, with very limited resources about how to sustain them, themselves and their, and their families. Well, let's go ahead and turn back to Jeff's story now. As you can imagine, um, his wife's criminal malfeasance uh, put a serious strain on their marriage. It got to the point where she wasn't being honest with me. She would never really be able to tell me um, exactly her reasoning behind things, um, why she did things. Um, Things within the relationship just kind of deteriorated. I felt like I was fighting for her and she wasn't fighting for us. And so I personally kind of separated myself from the situation and once that happened she made arrangements with her own family to pick up all the slack so they ended up paying back the money and she ended up with a contract job that was paying her a quarter million dollars a year 
Um, so it didn't take her much time to pay the money back. As actually for a bank to help them set up systems and programs within their business to prevent people from doing what she had done. There's an obvious irony in this part of Jeff's story uh, that's maybe the subject for another conversation entirely. Suffice it to say, Jeff's wife, his ex-wife now, landed on her feet with an even better paying job and and custody of their two kids. And for Jeff, as we're going to hear, the road was about to get a lot rougher. Um, Before we hear what happened next with Jeff, let me ask you, Kevin Lindemood, to react to what you're hearing so far and maybe say a few words about safety nets, the tenuousness of safety nets um, that we assume that we have under us at any given point in time. Right. Uh, I, I think it's a, we all tend to have a general assumption that, well, no, we can't fall that far. Surely there are uh, re- resources available for, for vulnerable people. When, when contemporary homelessness reemerged, the, the first population that we were seeing an awful lot of uh, was single, childless adults, uh, folks not unlike Jeff that were separated from children and separated from spouses. Single adults generally are not eligible for income support or cash assistance uh, through welfare, for example. Um, Up until recently, they weren't eligible for Medicaid, so had no way to get access to health services. People often look back at that period and say, why are single adults um, experiencing homelessness at such large numbers? There's literally no safety net for them. Um, Up until the end of 2013, only about 20% of the individuals that we saw at Healthcare for the Homeless were eligible for Medicaid. Uh, more than 70% of our clients were completely uninsured because single adults like Jeff were not eligible for Medicaid no matter how poor they were. Uh, that changed substantially and significantly in 2014 um, when we jumped from 30% insured to 90% insured uh, from one month to the next, uh, largely because of Medicaid expansion. Kevin Lindemood of Healthcare for the Homeless, you said a lot there. We'll keep that all in mind as we head now back to Jeff's story. I kind of uh, went into a major depression, found, it, found things very difficult. Um, it just, you know, when when your whole life you kind of define yourself of being a certain, you know, a, as a certain being, so to speak. Um, and again, as I said, I defined myself as being dad. And when there weren't anybody to take, there was no one to take care of around me, um, I was lost. Um, and I found it very difficult to maintain work. Um, I'd lost all my insurance and stuff, so I wasn't able to go out and seek help I needed. Um, it, uh, it was a time of loss, and uh, the hardest thing I learned was I kept trying to find ways to get back what I had lost, and it's taken me 14 years to discover that you can't get back that loss. You can only move forward, and uh, and that's the progress of from where I was then to where I'm at today. Is that 14 years of trying to fight to get to gain what I lost? Jeff Garrett taking us inside his mind as his safety nets unraveled and his mental health issues began to spiral and compound. Listening along with us is Kevin Lindemood, CEO of Healthcare for the Homeless. And Kevin, let me ask you to share some insights about that 
I guess you would call it like a mutually magnifying relationship between mental health problems and like social and economic instability. They seem like they can feed each other in a really powerful way. Absolutely. Uh, you, you get the sense in just listening to Jeff's story of the, of the trauma and loss and the, the sense of hopelessness and, and helplessness. Without question, there is a very strong relationship between homelessness and health and homelessness and mental health. About 40% of the individuals that we work with at Healthcare for the Homeless have a major uh, Axis One mental, mental health diagnosis. Um, if you don't have a, a, a stable place to stay, uh, that you're, you're far less likely to be able to even be in a place where you can access treatment. Right, so the experience of homelessness itself causes health problems, things that uh, that could improve actually exacerbate and get worse. It's really difficult to to coordinate treatment and continuity of care, uh, particularly if you don't have access to health insurance, but also if you just don't have a a, a stable uh, residential environment in which to root that treatment. Um, what we found in intervening. Uh, with with individuals like Jeff is the importance of relationship building, of establishing a a sense of of, of mutual trust, and often individuals that that might be experiencing mental illness and don't have a, a regular place to stay, have negative experiences with broader social systems, criminal justice system, uh, for example, that, that might um, push them away from, from any kind of response from outreach workers or from clinics that are, that are trying to assist. So this, this process of relationship building uh, can take an extremely long time. It can take months. It can take years. Um, w what we're finding is that it is um, th the process of relationship building goes much faster when you can actually connect people with the care they need. So when someone does have access to, to health insurance that can make that possible, when you can root that care in some kind of residential stability. Um, uh, these days with with uh, some of the more vulnerable who are living on the streets, we've been moving people directly into housing and giving them the services that they need to, to stay stably housed. And, and without question, health goes up, um, public costs like emergency room visits and incarceration go, go down, and, and overall quality of life from that individual's perspective uh, tends, to, tends to improve. The, the big problem we face is that there's simply not enough housing. You guys spend a lot of time and energy and strategy figuring out how to deal with this problem, and it really is, I mean, that sort of chicken and egg scenario of, of health, mental health, and homelessness and uh, economic instability, housing instability. Yeah. Do you talk about your strategies. I mean, you mentioned a little bit getting some people into housing immediately, um, getting people into the fold of mental care in some instances until housing is available. Talk about um, some of the strategies you guys have to interrupt that domino effect. Yeah, I mean, when you when you when you look at it big picture, when when homelessness reemerged uh, in, in the United States, everyone was asking questions about what what is it that's causing it, right? So deinstitutionalization de from mental health facilities was happening, and so people said, well, maybe it's a mental health problem. Uh, others were saying that that drugs were circulating in inner cities, and and maybe it's an addiction problem. Uh, what we know now. Uh, looking back at that time period, uh, today we're spending less than half as a country 
uh, on affordable housing, less than half of what we spent in 1979. Um, so my, my point, I suppose, is that things like addiction, things like mental illness, huge social problems affecting people at every socioeconomic level. Um, but for people who are extremely poor, people who are cut off from social connections and other systems and families, as was the case with Jeff, uh, these, these kinds of illnesses can become almost debilitating as a society. Uh, we need to figure out, particularly as private market housing is, is rising out of reach for so many, uh, we have to figure out how to rebalance that and look at housing uh, not just as a commodity, but as a very real human right that uh, individuals have. Um, there isn't any clinical service that we can provide, mental health treatment, addiction treatment, medical treatment, that isn't made a thousand times better by rooting that care uh, in a safe, stable, secure place for that individual to stay. Healthcare for the Homeless has continued to grow as an organization. You've continued to acquire more facilities. I guess that's kind of a bittersweet thing. Um, let me give you a chance to talk to folks about um, how they can get connected with you and, and come under the umbrella of your services if they need them. Uh, sure. Uh, Healthcare for the Homeless has clinic sites uh, on the Fallsway in Baltimore City, um, in Bon Secours Hospital on the west side, on the campus of MedStar Franklin Square in Baltimore County, um, and a, a dental program at Our Daily Bread, the city's largest soup kitchen. We also have a mobile clinic that visits a, a range of sites in Baltimore City and Baltimore County. Uh, you can call our main number at 410-837-5533. You can go to hchmd.org for information. There's information for uh, clients on our website, um, as well as information for those who are interested in, in getting involved and in supporting our work at our Fallsway, at, at any of our clinical locations. We work to ensure that services are available on a walk-in basis. Uh, so that people can can come in and and get an assessment and get access to care. We can't always see see everybody on that particular day, but we we work our our very best to get people connected to the the services that they need. Kevin Lindemood is CEO of Healthcare for the Homeless, where Jeff Jeff Garrett has benefited from services, and where, as we're going to hear later this hour, he's been doing some incredible advocacy work in. Uh, more recent times. And uh, Kevin, thank you for the work you do. Thank you for being here with us. Thank you for your interest and coverage of these important issues. You're tuned to Life in the Balance. I'm Aaron Hankin. After the break, Jeff's story continues. He'll try to go on medication to stabilize his mental health, but a bad reaction and a lack of counseling leads him toward a psychotic episode. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Life in the Balance. I'm Aaron Henkin. We're talking about homelessness and mental health this hour, and we're looking at the issue through the eyes of Jeff Garrett, a man who is currently experiencing homelessness. Jeff went from being a normal guy, job, wife, kids, to finding himself alone, underemployed, and financially and mentally unstable. His wife had embezzled $75,000, but thanks to some help from her family, she was able to land on her feet and take custody of the kids and even go on to an uh, even higher-paying job. Jeff, meanwhile, was left spiraling into a deep depression. 
it wasn't as I envisioned or hoped for. I was hoping that I would be able to see the kids more often than I did, um, to have the means for when we did see each other to be able to do things. Um, and I was still lost because even though I still could, I could see them relatively more often, it still wasn't enough. It still was, it wasn't fulfilling that need that I was lacking and missing out of that relationship. Um, and so, uh, the depression really took over again. And, um, I ended up just basically enclosing myself into a nothing world. I knew things were wrong. I just, I didn't, I was lost. I was just honestly, absolutely lost. My days were pretty much, I stayed in bed all day, um, literally. Uh, stayed in my room, closed myself off from the world. I was living, honestly, on a $100 a month um, expenses. That was it. And 25 of that went for um, supplies for my dog. And the only time I left the house was to um, take the dog out for a walk, um, and to be honest, if it wasn't for that dog, I probably would have killed myself. Every time I'd take the dog out for a walk, all I would look for was areas where I could try to hide my body, so to speak, um, where you know I wouldn't be found. Um, you know, there was two thoughts that kept me going: was the responsibility for the dog and the fear of my kids finding out what I had done. Jeff Garrett sharing his story here on Life in the Balance and listening along with us now is Meredith Greif. She is assistant professor of sociology at Johns Hopkins University. And Professor Greif, welcome. Thanks for being with us. Thank you for having me. First of all, um, your initial reactions to Jeff's story. I know a lot of your work focuses on the self-perpetuating nature of homelessness and housing insecurity. Um, talk a little bit more about that sort of twin scourge of mental illness and housing insecurity and the way those things tend to feed on each other. So Jeff's story, unfortunately, is not uncommon. And I think it gives an example of what we would call a bi-directional relationship between mental illness and housing insecurity and homelessness. So for some people, it is the actual mental illness that leads them to become homeless. They lose a job. They become estranged from their family. In some cases, people who are homeless then develop uh, symptoms of mental illness because of the trauma of being on the street or having unstable housing. I think that um, Jeff, it sounds like, is you know fell in the category of someone who experienced serious um, trauma and related mental illness and and had trouble keeping up with um, his responsibilities to stay employed and uh, housed. You know, he's not only uh, lost his wife and kids, as we've heard, um, it seems to me like he's lost his sense of purpose. Um, mm -hmm. You know, he said earlier in the show that his role in life was to be dad. Um, and now, you know, that's that's been taken away. Um, talk about just how essential our sense of purpose is and, uh, and and what happens when we lose that. That's a great question. I think that's something that people don't really appreciate or think about when they think about the homeless experience, that it doesn't just come with a fear about where am I going to sleep tonight? How am I going to find food? How will I find health care? But that feeling that 
you're not wanted by a society, that there's nowhere to be, that that people don't want to see you on the streets. People are afraid of you. People are afraid to make eye contact with people who are homeless for various reasons. And so uh, that sense of social isolation is really powerful, is really something that can damage someone's psyche enough to perpetuate mental illness even further. So uh, people have expressed to me that you know just some of that trauma comes from feeling as though you are an outcast in society, and it's hard to find your way back. We're going to turn back to Jeff's story now. At this point, he has finally got himself to a doctor uh, to try to get some treatment for his depression. The doctor warned me that, you know, that there's some side effects with these pharmaceuticals. They take a little bit of time to build up into your system. You need to, you know, let the process happen and stay with it. Um, So he gives me a prescription. Within a week, I was... I was a completely different person. I was living on my own in an area where I wasn't in contact with, you know, close friends or anybody nearby. Um, that medicine um, really did a number on me. And uh, I called the doctor up and let him know that I was having bad side effects with it. And he kept saying to me, stick with it. I told you there was going to be problems. Stay on it. So I did. I followed his instructions. Within two weeks, um, I was locked in my house. The the phone rang. I destroyed my phone um, because I was paranoid. Uh, I barely was able to take care of myself. I was in a fetal ball all day long. Called him up again, telling him, you know, things aren't right. And his response was, again, to stay with it. What was the medication? Prozac. Jeff Garrett sharing his story here on Life in the Balance and listening along with us is JHU sociologist Meredith Greif. Professor Greif, here's a guy who's trying to do the right thing. He's trying to get help for his mental health problems. He's listening to the doctor, uh, but he's either being poorly treated or he's just having really bad luck with his reaction to the drug. Can you comment on this experience? I mean, how common is this? Well, certainly for... Many medications, there are side effects that are not anticipated. It sounds like he was suffering from perhaps some unusual, especially unusual and, and, and difficult side effects. Ideally, he would be in better touch with his doctor who could help him manage some of those side effects and answer some questions, find him potentially a different drug to help him. Certainly people who experience depression sometimes have to try multiple drugs before they find the one that works for him. Unfortunately, it sounds like he was not on the drug that was was most useful to him. You're anticipating, actually, uh, the next chapter of Jeff's story. Um, He is, at this point in his story, on the verge of homelessness. Uh, He is financially unstable. He's obviously mentally unstable. Um, But what really strikes me is how alone he is. I mean, you can hear it in the way he's talking. You Mm -hmm. get this sense that the walls are, like, tangibly closing in around him. and and um, I will go ahead and play uh, for you what happened next. Uh, the next best step, as you suggested, is maybe try some other medication. He got his doctor to switch him onto a new prescription. Um, so he had a bunch of new pills, but he still had to come off the old pills. I ended up taking that prescription and the rest of the pills of the Prozac and going out, buying a fifth of whiskey, driving up to the Appalachian Mountains, 
and was planning on never coming back out of those woods. And so I went up into the mountains, stashed myself somewhere, and proceeded to take all the pills with the whiskey. Ended up in the woods. I went in on a Friday night, and I climbed out of the woods Monday morning. Um, Drove myself home, took a shower. I'm having a psychotic episode throughout this time. Got cleaned up and for some reason or another drove my car down to Spanish Harlem. Parked it. The only way I really remember most of that was that I ended up with a um, wristband on my arm from Bellevue Hospital. I ended up with stitches over my eye because um, my car was stolen. Um, and I came up upon the person as they were stealing the car and got hit, um, but really don't remember much of anything. Um, it was a crazy six days. Jeff Garrett, on the verge of committing suicide, miraculously surviving a pretty deadly-sounding mixture of prescription antidepressants and alcohol, only then to have a severe psychotic break and blackout in New York City. Johns Hopkins University sociologist Meredith Greif is here listening along to Jeff's story with us. Professor Greif, how extraordinary is this story? And is there such a thing as a typical story? I mean, as we've said, at this point, Jeff is at the cusp of experiencing full-blown homelessness. We've heard his circumstances. But um, as a sociologist, um, let me ask you if there are larger trends you can point to when it comes to uh, homeless individuals as a whole. Who is more at risk and why? Well, I think that's an important question because the homeless population is actually very diverse. I think people have a certain image of the face of homelessness, which is someone who has been on the street for a long time, someone that experiences severe mental illness or addiction and that is not statistically the real face of homelessness. Actually, most people who are homeless are what we would call transitionally homeless, meaning that they experience a brief period of housing insecurity or homelessness, maybe due to a sudden shock of illness or unemployment, and then they find their way back on their feet again. And then there are others who fall into uh, what we would call more chronic homelessness, where often that's accompanied by some kind of mental health problem or addiction. And so it sounds like Jeff is someone who possibly might have been categorized as someone who was uh, transitionally homeless because he had a a negative income shock. He had this um, experience where he'd lost access to stable income and and some family uh, disruption, but that because of these mental health problems, he slid further into the abyss where he was heading down a a really tragic pathway. As a society, what are we doing or not doing that's allowing people to fall through the cracks like this? It's important to catch people before they fall off that cliff. So for some people, falling off that cliff, uh, as I mentioned, is a result of losing a job or having a, a family crisis. So for some people, it's a matter of helping them pay rent for a few months or having some short-term counseling or treatment. And then for other people, it's about helping them once they're really down and investing in the resources to help them get back up. Professor Greif, let me have you talk a little bit more about your area of study, your concentration. I understand you're actively working on solutions to the homeless crisis. Um, Share some of your thoughts and your studies with us. So one 
transition that's happened in recent years, um, or one change, I should say, is the recognition that it's important to rapidly rehouse people. Uh, so this move towards rapid rehousing is the result of a recognition that in order for people to overcome some of the issues that have um, led them into homelessness, whether it's addiction or mental health problems, that it's important to get them stably housed for them to then work on some of those issues. Previously, we had a framework where mostly people were expected to be sober and to have um, you know, their, their mental health um, in good standing before they were considered to be ready for permanent housing assistance. And so now we've seen a move towards finding stable housing for people and then giving that, having that as a platform for people to uh, find their way back into um, you know, helping Jeff, for example, find his way back to his normal life. I'm hearing a chorus and a refrain here as this program progresses. We heard uh, Kevin Lindemood say um, almost the same thing, rapid rehousing, um, that addiction recovery, mental health services, counseling, all of those things become 10 times more effective, 10 times more likely to see succeed when you take care of step one, which is to provide a safe place to live. Absolutely. Housing is really the foundation for well-being in so many ways. Even just for simple things, it's uh, difficult for someone to follow, uh, for example, just a, a, a routine of taking prescription drugs to, um, you know, if someone is, is without housing, it's just hard to ensure that they can follow these prescribed routines and, um, and take care of themselves. Meredith Greif is an assistant professor of sociology at Johns Hopkins University. Professor Greif, thank you for joining us today. Thank you. It's nice to be here. You're tuned to Life in the Balance. I'm Aaron Hinkin. Coming up, Jeff drinks away his last few dollars, finds himself homeless, wandering the streets, and he gives himself an ultimatum. Get help or end his life. We'll be right back. I'm Aaron Hinkin, and you're listening to Life in the Balance. On the show, we've been getting to know a man named Jeff Garrett. He's currently homeless. And uh, we've been learning about the series of life events that have led him to his current situation. At this point in the story, Jeff has truly hit rock bottom. Got into a relationship with a person that I was working with. We ended up move. I ended up moving in with her, and then discovering that um, she was bipolar and a blackout alcoholic, and it got abusive um, and sort of dangerous and. She threw me out of the house, and that left me homeless. I didn't know what I was going to do. I was really kind of in that shock and awe situation again. Uh, the only thought that kept running through my mind was, this is it. You know, it, it's, you know, I've, I've run the course. I'm, I'm done. I'm done living. I'm, I'm done fighting for something clearly um, I'm a failure and I just didn't want to keep going on so I had like $20 left in my pocket and I went to a bar and proceeded to drink as much as I could on that $20 and was going to go and said at that point okay I'm either going to find help or I'm going to end my life. 
Jeff Garrett hitting a low point and giving himself a deadly ultimatum. It's Life in the Balance. I'm Aaron Hankin, and listening along to Jeff's story with us now is Terry Hickey. Terry is director of the Mayor's Office of Human Services here in Baltimore City. And Terry, thanks for being here. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Let me first, Terry, have you say a few words about the Office of Human Services. What is your mission, and what, what do you all do within the city? Sure. Well, first of all, Homeless Services is one of the uh, units within Human Services. We sit on that front line in the mayor's strategy to uh, prevent and and support people in Baltimore City that are experiencing poverty and other issues in their life. And, and I... Th- you know, we can talk about policy, but what I think human services really are, you know, you can hear Jeff's piece there is about all of these stories and how people end up where they are when they come to us. So we are uh, the Community Action Partnership Centers, which are spread throughout the city. We operate uh, Head Start Centers for small children and obviously uh, homeless services, um, where we really do our best to help families and individuals who have really hit rock bottom and are looking to get back into housing, get their lives back on track. What are your major concerns right now? What's at the top of your list when it comes to housing and at-risk populations in Baltimore? Well, I'll keep coming back to the same theme. It's all about flow. And every day we have people flowing into one system or another. And it happens, what we've just heard, you know, that nobody's a typical story anymore. So, but that flow, once you end up on the street, once you end up in an emergency shelter, that my biggest concern is how do we keep people moving? How do we move people off the street into shelters or transitional housing? How do we move people from some kind of temporary housing to permanent housing? How do we move them into a setting where they're getting the services they need? And that comes down to a resource issue. And so every day we're looking for how can we move people through quicker. Uh, People have heard the saying, make homelessness rare and brief. It's based on the idea you probably can't end homelessness from an absolute perspective. But how can we ensure uh, people in Jeff's situation, families, anyone ends up in that situation as as gets out of it as quickly as possible into something stable. That that's what keeps me up at night. I want to I want to return back to Jeff's story here. This is a man who's obviously been through the ringer. He's estranged from his family. He's been devoured by mental illness. He's burned his way through the remaining safety nets that he's got. He's wandering around on the street. He's getting ready to kill himself if he doesn't get help. What's his next move? Where where should he go and what should he do? So in an ideal setting, who's he going to come in contact with? The people he comes in contact with, be it uh, a police officer on the street, uh, somebody directing traffic, uh, a, you know, a citizen, somebody walking by. Depending on the state he's in, somebody should have an understanding of what's out there. At least where's that front door? Where do you go first? I think that in an ideal system, something we're moving towards is do we have in this city a robust street outreach presence? Are there people walking around the city looking for people in Jeff's situation, looking for uh, a family standing on the corner with their bags? You know, uh, maybe they were recently evicted and don't know where to go. Because here's the thing, you know, some folks, they at least are thinking in their mind, I'm homeless at this moment. I need to be looking for a shelter. I, I, I don't know if I want to, but I'm, uh, that's what I think I should do. For some folks, th- the idea that I'm, I fit into this topic or I fit into this label of homeless you know, doesn't doesn't dawn on them. My, my kids may be still going to school, but we may not have a place to live that night. So our teachers are, you know, who comes in contact with people at that pivotal moment? 
and it's almost impossible to be everywhere, but are we hedging our bets and making sure that that information is out there? That's what we need to do. So here is what Jeff does. He sees a police station, and uh, he decides this is the right place to ask for help. I knocked, saw no one coming. The door was locked. I'm like, on a police station, locked? This is weird. Um, I knocked again, uh, still nothing. And I'm, I'm getting frantic at this point because um, all of a sudden this, as I think as the time went on and I was even drinking, I kept realizing that there's something inside of myself because I kept saying, this is wrong. These thoughts are wrong. You need to do, you need to do something. You know, these thoughts aren't right. It, it found out that, um, you know, as I said, I was at this, what I thought was a police station, because it said police on the building, um, knocking on the door and nobody showed up. And now when nobody's showing up, the first thing I'm doing is looking around for going, okay, where am I going to go and use this box cutter? And as I'm doing this, all of a sudden this thought just kept popping up and said, no, this isn't right. And... So at that point, I pulled out my phone and I Googled suicide hotline and got the number and called them. And within two minutes, they had the police on their way to where I was standing. Took me to uh, Mercy Hospital and um, I spent the night there. Um, they weren't sure what they were going to do with me, whether I was going to end up in the psych ward upstairs or not. Um, I ended up at a place called uh, BCRI, uh, Baltimore Crisis Response, um, and that's a uh, emergency shelter, so to speak. And um, they showed up the next morning they interviewed me they said yeah we have a spot for you you know we we can we can work with you if you'd like to come along with us and uh that's when life started swinging the pendulum started swinging more in my favor that pendulum continues to swing in jeff's favor and i'll tell you more about that in just a minute he's currently living in a mission shelter Listening along to Jeff's story with us is Terry Hickey. Terry is director of the mayor's office of human services in Baltimore. And Terry, um, talk to me about what solutions the mayor's office has for the homeless crisis in the city of Baltimore right now. What's being done right now to help people like Jeff? Well, obviously, you know, Jeff's experience shows how important that one moment can be. And, you know, it also makes me think that people that question making sure that people have resources like phones in their hands and the ability to communicate, you know, stories like this underscore why the, the age we live in, you need the ability to connect and to find that. But, but it, Jeff was lucky to be in the situation when he didn't find an immediate um, support. What we're trying to do is, A, make sure that there's more information out on the street where people can go. We're working on a coordinated access system. So if you go to a library, if you go to a school, if you end up in uh, a healthcare facility, an emergency room, you'll have the ability to be referred into a system. Every place you go can be a front door, a police station. They know how to refer. We're doing training. We're making sure 211, 
311, 911 are all on the same page with these types of calls. And then you get one interview, one assessment, not you're going to go to three or four places and be picked apart with questions. Here's where you are. And then in real time, have the ability to link you with both immediate resources. Where are you sleeping that night? Where are your kids going to be? How do we keep your kids in school? Uh, What do you need? Are you hungry? And then the broader, um, you know, the bigger topics of what housing do you qualify for? What's out there? Um, what what are your the situations are so unique from person to person, from family to family that you really can't make on a sus, uh, you know, an, an assumption of that. So one interview um, linked quickly to resources, and then we have to grow our housing stock. We have to have both rental and permanent units that people can go and be moved into fairly quickly. Go back to that flow idea, and that's a resource issue. So one front door consistent entry points with people well-informed in the system, the ability to get you off the street quickly in a place that you feel comfortable and safe, and then the ability to move with case management help and support into some kind of um, living arrangement that's suitable for you and your family while you stabilize. The whole new movement around Housing First is this idea you don't necessarily have to sit in a shelter and you don't necessarily have to sit in a transitional housing program for months or even years. You should be in something that's yours and the services should be wrapped around you on your terms. That's that's what we're moving towards. Terry, I'll have you know that Jeff, for his part, is now someone who has become very involved with homeless advocacy. Uh, as I mentioned, he's currently living in a shelter, and while he's doing that, he is he's actually building quite a resume uh, volunteering, uh, volunteering with Baltimore's Continuum of Care Board, the Consumer Advisory Work Group, the Maryland Intra-Agency Council on Homelessness, and he also coordinates the Faces of Homelessness Speakers Bureau. That's a program that educates the public on the causes and experiences of homelessness. Let me ask you, Terry, what advice do you have for Jeff going forward as he continues to pick up the pieces of his life and to try and help others along the way? Let me be clear. Courage and leadership don't require a fixed address. And Jeff's a remarkable story. There's other folks out there. We have a consumer advisory committee that Jeff participates in that meets every Friday for the past, I think, 40 Fridays. And it's been growing rapidly in which people come. And what is fascinating to me, just as an aside, is people in Jeff's situation experiencing homelessness, to find the time to come to meetings that many of us might assume are either boring or too much in the you know the weeds of details or to find the time to come and and be able to translate lived experience into policy recommendations you know Jeff and his peers aren't coming to meetings we've interacted with them many times they're not coming to meetings to point fingers they're not coming to meetings to say the city isn't doing this I'm upset with the mayor they're giving us real information about what they're experiencing and where the, the where the gaps were, where the drop-off points were, where where in hindsight we could have done better. Uh, Jeff and others were instrumental in helping us fix some messaging around winter sheltering to make it easier for homeless individuals to understand what we were asking them to do, for instance. So, you know, I think this is about human nature. A lot of us that work in human services live this work. And we every day see people on the street and and you take that home with you and you it's always with you i think folks in jeff's situation same thing they're they're just as human 
and they start looking out for everyone else. A big part of this is utilize your knowledge of the system to not only help us make it better, but use it to help take care of yourself. Don't feel it selfish to make sure you have a stable place at night. Um, you know, Jeff is doing things that a lot of professionals get paid to do every day. And, you know, while we try to fix the important foundation of this system, um, you know, take care of yourself. Don't feel like that's a selfish thing to do because from that position, you can continue to grow your leadership. Terry Hickey is director of the Mayor's Office of Human Services. Terry, thank you for joining us. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here to talk about such an important topic. We want to thank Jeff Garrett for sharing his story this hour on Life in the Balance. And we wish him well as he continues in his mission to help others. And uh, Jeff is going to get the last word on our program today. There's different types of animals in life. Um, and for me, sometimes the homeless community are, and people that are assumed that are, to me, like sea-based animals. And they're being forced to live on land. And no matter how hard we try to make them live on land and how much we want them to live on land, they're never really going to be able to survive and thrive on land. Um, and society has a way, and a lot of people have a way of trying to make everything um, single purpose. You know, if I can do it, you can do it type mentality. And just because one person has the means of being able to do that and says everybody should be able to do that doesn't mean that everybody really has those tools to go about doing that. Um, and for me, I need a purpose in life in order to thrive, in order to, to get up the next morning. Um, other people are just happy to go lucky to just go through the day-to-day minutiae of routine of the day. I need something larger than myself um, in order to to want to get up the next morning. Life in the Balance is an original production of WYPR. The show is produced and edited by Katie Marquette. We want to thank Healthcare for the Homeless for connecting us with Jeff Garrett and collaborating with us as we research this program. You can listen back to this episode at wypr.org slash life in the balance. And you can reach us with your thoughts and questions at lifeinthebalance at wypr.org. Life in the Balance airs here on WYPR on the first Wednesday of the month at 1 p.m. and again at 9 p.m. For 88.1 WYPR, your NPR news station, I'm Aaron Hinkin. Thanks for listening.